Hey everybody, thanks for joining us on this wonderful Tuesday afternoon. Uh, so excited to have you guys and I'm very honored to have my guest today. We switched our whole schedule because I've been excited and waiting for her to be available for my destiny live show podcast for several months now so welcome ashley hernandez from ellisville mississippi thank you thank you so much how's your day going today oh it's good it's been a really good day and thank you for rearranging your schedule for me i feel special not a, not a problem <laughs> yeah you should feel special you're awesome when we were grateful to accommodate you um like we mentioned earlier on our call yesterday at first we'll just talk about who you are share your experience what you do for a living um just your hobbies to help us understand who ashley hernandez is and then we'll get to the adoption story sounds great do you want me to just dive in yes you can introduce yourself okay. Well, I'm Ashley Hernandez, um, and yeah, I'm from Ellisville, Mississippi, and I'm a single adoptive and foster mom, um, but what I do for a living is I own a coffee shop, and I also own a wedding and event venue called Brookside Barn. Um, those two things keep me really busy, and then keeping a toddler alive is also one of my most important jobs, or the most important job, but um, <clears throat> those so so i really just enjoy entrepreneurship i feel like my wheels are always turning and my sister and i we were raised by very entrepreneur minded parents and so we're always like coming up with a new business to start and at one point my therapist told me no new foster kids no new relationships and no new businesses <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's what i do for a living and um it takes up a lot of my time. So like I mentioned that I'm a single mom and I've joked with people saying, I do not have time for a relationship because if you do not live with me or work with me, you will never see me. <laughs> <laughs> Would be. Um, being an entrepreneur and your own boss is extremely rewarding, but share some of the difficulties of starting businesses, maybe the risk or the failures. Has it all worked out for you or share your experience with being an entrepreneur? Um, it's working out for me. The wedding venue, Brookside Barn, was very successful from the beginning because it was there was nothing like that in our area when we started it. Um, so that one has been like very blessed and favored by God. There are more venues starting to pop up now, but I think that we just probably got in at the right time and started that. So, um, you know, they say you don't make money the first five years of your of a new business, and um, that one did well. And so, um, with the help of my parents, because they're amazing and wonderful, <clears throat> we were able to open the coffee shop in downtown of our city, so downtown Ellisville. It is very rewarding. I love to travel. That's one of my that's probably the biggest hobby that I have is I love to travel. It could be a weekend trip or across the world. I did travel the world for a little bit. So um, I do love to travel. And so the rewarding part of being an entrepreneur is that I have the flexibility to do those things. The hardships are that I never get to clock out. Um, so I joke with my staff because they'll say, like at the coffee shop, one of them will say, oh, yeah, I was working off the clock. And I'm like, I'm always working off the clock. What are you people talking about? I never get to clock in and clock out and go home and turn off my brain. So like I mentioned before, my wheels are always turning. I'm always trying to think of 
you know, something new to do or something, um, a bigger and better way to do what we're doing now or just ways to improve and things like that. Um, you know, ways to, from a business standpoint, ways to increase revenue and cut costs and, you know, so there are lots and lots of, um, wonderful benefits to being a business owner. There's also cons. I, again, I mean, I joke all the time, but I'll tell my mom, like, I'm about to quit. Y'all need to find somebody else to run this place because <laughs> I'm about to quit. And she's like, you can't quit your own business. So, um, you know, it's early mornings and late nights, but it's worth it. Like, it really is. I don't really think I was created to have a boss other than myself. <laughs> it's one of the greatest blessings ever, for sure. I love to travel. It's like one of my favorite things ever. A lot of people don't travel because they hate airports or they hate different weather and stuff. And I love every aspect of it. I love to read in the airport. I like to meet new people. I like to see culture. I like to eat food in new places. What are your like hot spots, your favorite destinations to travel? Okay. Well, like I mentioned, I traveled the world back in 2012 on a trip called the world race. I don't know if you have, you heard of the world race? No. Okay. I don't think so. So, okay. So the world race, not the amazing race. Lots of people confuse the two. Uh, the world race is a Christian mission trip that takes you to 11 countries in 11 months. And it's through an organization called adventures and missions that are out of Gainesville, Georgia. So in September of 2012, I left on the world race and that took me to three countries in Africa, three in Asia, three and two in Europe and then four in Central America. And so um, as far as, so anyway, what I was going to say about that is that really allowed me to see so much of the world and so many different um, cultures in a short amount of time. So we lived in each month for um, each country for a month. And I was able to sort of get a better feel of what it's like to live there because it's one thing to vacation in a place it's another thing to live in a place um so that allowed me the chance to get to see those things hot spots like favorite places are definitely central america i lived in costa rica for about a year and a half after the world race and i have always had a love for the spanish culture or the hispanic culture and the spanish language and so i really enjoyed learning that language more and using it in time there and then also i can use it here a little bit too so hot spots would be internationally would definitely be like central america um in america in north america my family and I took an Alaskan cruise once, and that is definitely like one of my biggest highlights. It was so beautiful, and we got to see, we made like three stops in Alaska, and one stop went to Victoria, Canada. So that was really nice. I would definitely say I would do that again for sure. That is so cool. Um, I am going to gloat a little bit, and I'm on a 36-day streak learning Spanish on Duolingo. <laughs> doesn't mean anything, okay. but I'm trying. Okay. My, uh, my paternal side of my birth family live in Mexico and Guadalajara. So I'm really trying to like be able to communicate with them better. Uh, my birth dad yeah. knows broken English and he can understand on FaceTime a little bit, but it's very difficult to write to him. So I'm, I'm excited and I love it. And ever since I connected with my birth father on social media, it's really helped me gain an appreciation for Latin culture. And it's amazing. Yes, it really is. It really is. I like it a lot too. 
Awesome. So let's transition a little bit. Share what circumstances brought you and your daughter together. Um, I understand, and you'll share that you went the foster care route. What what helped you kind of figure that that was what you wanted to do in life? Yeah. Well, so at the time I was married, you know, to my past my ex husband, and we never really got into this because we adopt um that was we we always okay let me rewind actually because we always said that we would adopt one day we wanted to have our own kids and we wanted to adopt eventually but we just never knew like when what that would look like or when or what route or it was nothing we even really discussed about in the first few years of our marriage um but after we were married for a few years um we started talking about foster care and God put that in front of me because, well, well, I don't know why God put that in front of me. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder why. <laughs> I still wonder why he did. But um, what happened was my husband, my ex-husband and I were had just moved back here and we were like fresh off the mission field. And um, that was sort of a frustrating time for our spiritual lives because the church, like the church with a capital C, on the mission field looks a lot different than North America. And so it can sometimes feel it, then it could sometimes feel a little shallow or a little showy or like, you know, um, it's just very different. And it took us a while. Like I had gone, like I just mentioned from like the, like very rural Africa and India and the Philippines and, um, Honduras, like these countries that are very, very different from the United States and do church very differently. So we had gone from that and then living in Costa Rica for a year and a half to coming back here where, like I said, like church, it can sometimes feel a little shallow or whatever. I've since learned and God has taken me through this journey that it's not shallow. It's just different sometimes. Um, but that was a very frustrating spiritual season for us. And so I mentioned to my husband one day at lunch, just something like, you know, I'm just so frustrated in my faith. I don't feel like we're doing anything. We went from 24 seven ministry to just coming here. And like, we had not been, he had never been here. I had not been here in so long. Like a, a lot of my friends had like moved away and I didn't have, you know, um, friends and things to do and things like that. So at first, and so I was just like, you know, maybe we should just, we need to serve in some way. We did not have a home church, but I was like, you know, maybe we just need to foster a bunch of kids or something. I don't know. I kind of just said it like out of frustration. And then that was it. Like we never talked about it again for probably a year. It was just like, that's all that was said about it. Um, probably a year or so later, I was watching a Hallmark movie channel, Hallmark channel. And I love to watch, um, the home and family show on there. And they had a guest, her name is Jen Lilly and they had a guest and she's an actress. She's a Hallmark actress, but she and her husband were foster parents. And so she was talking, they were interviewing her and asking her about that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. She's a foster mom. And they showed a little picture of the baby, but they couldn't show the baby's face. And I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. Um, and then I just, you know, went on about my life. So a little while later, my then husband and I went to hear a guy speak at a, our local university and he had um, attempted suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, but lived obviously because we went to hear him speak. So he's telling his story, but in his story, he's talking about 
what led him to the point of wanting to end his life and his and his life was growing up in foster care and the rejection and all the things that he felt and dealt with um even once he found you know his forever family who loved him and, and how he couldn't accept love and just the struggles of a child who grows up in foster care and he had been in it for years and years and so um that was like the second thing in a row that i was like hmm this is like why does god keep putting this in front of my face and then um, I had just recently started a sort of a side job and I met one of my now very best friends whose name is Christy and she and her husband were foster parents. So I was like, okay, I text my husband and I was like, I don't know what God is trying to say, but this is the third time he's put foster care in front of me. And I think we might need to listen. And so I told him about Christy and her husband. He was like, let's go to dinner with them and like, just ask questions. So that's what we did. And immediately, like we just knew um, that that's what we were supposed to do. So we took the steps to get trained, training and do everything we need to do, the home studies and all that to become foster parents. Well, on our application, but it's different now but then on your application we fostered through the state agency which in mississippi is cps so child protective services it's called different things in different states but um so we fostered through cps and on that application you had to mark if you wanted to only foster foster to adopt or adoption only and i want to go back and clarify adoption foster to adopt is not synonymous with like rent to own <laughs> it's not like this is an adopted placement and so you're gonna like keep this child until it's ready foster to adopt means that you're a foster home and if you have a child in your home whose parents um, lose their rights and they come up for adoption you would be open to adopting that child should it be a good fit okay so that's all it means we did not mark anything with adoption. We just marked foster only. Cause again, it just wasn't on our radar at the time. So we marked it, went through the steps. Um, there were some divine appointments in there. Like a friend of my friend, Christy had a child, had a baby girl in her home who was, um, they were going to have to find her another placement. And so Christy called me one day and she was like, what age group did you put on your application? And I was like, I don't know, like five to eight or something, something like that. She was like, would you take a baby? And I was like, probably not. <laughs> and she was like, are you sure? And I was like, I mean, maybe why? And so she tells me about her friend who has this little girl and her friends, her friend and her husband were about to adopt another child. So they were going to be needing to move the little girl um, to her adoptive placement. She was a few months old. She was probably nine or 10 months old then. And she was, um, starting to like, you know, show signs of talking and she was about to start, she was approaching one years old and she was about to start calling someone mom and dad. And they, and the way her case was progressing or not progressing, it looked like it was probably going to be, um, a case where she would be up for adoption. They really wanted to get her in an adoptive home um, to kind of secure that early on. So she's telling me about this little girl and she's like, and by the way, they need her in an adoptive home. And I'm like, well, we're not an adoptive home. She's like, are you sure? 
I'm like, yes, sure. And so um, Christy was like, well, just talk to your husband about it. So I'm like, okay, fine. So I was honestly more open to it than I thought he would be. And so I called him. I told him all about the little girl and how she's a little baby and she needs somewhere to go. And she's probably going to need to be adopted. And he was like, yes, that's fine. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah. So I was like, okay. So I told him, you know, I called Chrissy back and I was like, tell him it's fine. Tell him it's fine. And so she did. And like, you know, obviously there's some official steps that we had to, you know, we had to get through. Um, but we did. And so on her, on Skylar's first birthday, we started um, babysitting her. So we did a transition period of a month because, um, Skylar went into foster care when she was seven weeks old and she had been with this one family until she was almost a year old and they were all she really knew. So we did a month of transitioning where we would babysit and then like those babysitting sessions would get longer and longer and longer until um, a month later, our home was officially licensed as like an official foster home and we were able to take her as a placement. So that was the long um, answer to our Involved in foster care, which then, of course, left. Yeah, and from our conversation, you had a lot of trials and difficult steps along the way. I'll let you uh, to take a swig of water and catch your breath. Um, yeah. But your story is very inspiring as far as how hard you had to fight to keep and adopt your daughter. Can you share with us your steps, why that had to happen? Um, what was going to happen if it didn't and what you did to help change the story of your daughter to become yours. Yeah. So, um, like I mentioned, we weren't an adoptive home, so we had to go back and make some changes on our application. So we needed to change our application to be an adoptive home. We needed to change the age range because like I said, it was like five to eight or something like not involving a baby. <laughs> and so, yeah. We go back and make those changes and um, with CPS, like when, when the workers from CPS brought Skylar's case to us, you know, mentioned it, told us all about it. Um, it was that she was a TPR case that she, her parents were going to be TPR, which means terminate parental rights um, termination. And so they would need her to be in an adoptive home. So instantly, actually, let me, about, let me preface this part of the story. But you know, adoption was not on our radar. We became foster parents because we wanted to do, by definition, what foster parents do, which is sort of be a respite place um, for children while their parents make these changes that they need to make in order for reunification to happen. We were and still are very pro reunification if that is what is best for the child, the parents, everyone, but mostly the child. Okay. I'm very pro child. Like I, I do love adults, but I, I kind of take the stance that like we're adults and we have to take responsibility for our actions and we have fully developed minds and we know right from wrong. So in the case of, uh, you know, an adult versus a child, like I'm always going to side with the child because I'm going to look out for their best interest because an adult, that's our job is to look out for their best interest. So while we're, we were both very pro re reunification, um, we only feel that way if it's best for the child. Um, and you can't just determine that in a 30 minute, you know, conversation like that takes a long time. So 
that said, um, they came to us saying, you know, she is a TPR case. She's going to need to be adopted. And instantly our mindset went from foster parents where we started to adoptive parents. Like in that moment when they said adoption to us, like she was our daughter. Obviously we did not love her with the amount of love that we have now because we didn't know her, but it's a whole mindset, mindset shift. I was very much like, you know, I want to take kid, take care of kids. I want to take kids into my home and care for them and cheer on their biological parents and, you know, be, like I said, by definition, what a foster parent is. But that all changed when they started talking to me about adoption and adopting Skylar. So um, we took her into our home and she um, was awesome. She is awesome. And her first, um, her first foster family was amazing. I don't know how they did it. But if I ever have more babies, I'm sending them to them for the first year <laughs> because um, we, like I said, we got Skylar on her first birthday. She was sleeping 12 hours. She took two naps. She ate the child. Awesome. I never lost sleep over her. Um, and so I was like, this is great. This is a perfect match. God knew exactly what he was doing when he designed Skylar for me. Um, because God knows that I could not go without sleep. So, um, it's so cool. Like to look back and see those, those just little fun things. Like God so loves the details, you know? Um, but we fostered her for several months and just fell in love with her more and more every day. Um, every day she became more our daughter and, um, my parents, we live close to my parents. And so like every day she became more their granddaughter and our family just really, um, couldn't really remember what life was like before Skylar because she was just so naturally a part of our family. Um, and so, um, it, with state agencies, like anyone who has an adoption story can tell you, like, it feels like it takes forever and like there's so much red tape to cut through and things like that. Um, but with a state agency, sometimes like things just get way backed up and they don't happen when they're supposed to happen. They don't happen in the time frames they're supposed to happen in or by the deadline they're supposed to happen by. And so, um, Skylar's case was really just dragging on way longer than it should have. Um, so after months and months of fostering her and preparing to adopt her, I got a phone call one day that, um, Skylar's worker had, reached out to a distant family member of Skylar's and asked if they would be willing to take Skylar. Now, I also want to preface the part I'm about to tell and say that God has completely restored and redeemed my relationship with Child Protective Services in Mississippi, and I can talk about that later. Um, and he's even redeemed the relationship with Skylar's previous caseworker. However, at the time, it was not a pretty relationship because like, again, I was preparing to be her mom and there's like this mother instinct that kicks in. That's like, I have to protect my baby cub and what you're trying to do with her is not in her best interest. So now I'm like, now you've pushed the bear into the corner and you're going to see what happens when you make a bear mad. <laughs> so, um, so that said, um, she had reached, you know, her worker had reached out to find family members. And I now know that 
a lot of what her worker was doing was just her job. They do have to do a diligent search um, to find family members because in the eyes of the law, it's better for the child to be with family members. We know that in reality, that's not always the case, but she, she did have to do her job in doing that. Um, so anyway, the family members, distant, agreed. And they said, yes, we'll take Skylar. So immediately, they began to give the family members um, visitations with Skylar. Um, so she had like weekly visitations at the CPS office with her family, and they began to give like bring these family members in to get to know her. And they were like starting to transition my daughter into this family, and there was nothing I could do about it. They um, so. So in youth court and like with, with CPS and stuff, everything's very, very confidential. But there are things that the foster parents can and must be included in, um, especially because we're the primary caregivers of the child. So um, very few people are going to know, have a better insight about this child in their life than we will. Um, so we were we were kept in the dark we were kept out of the loop um we even when we asked questions we couldn't get answers it was just very very frustrating um so they were transitioning you know they were having weekly visits with these family members they were getting like scholar ready to go and live with them and every single day of that was a nightmare to me i had such anxiety and like i don't think really anxiety is something i've ever struggled with but I really struggled with anxiety. I mean, I would have to, sometimes I would just go home and just blast worship music and just scream prayers. Like, I just had to dispel the darkness that was over the whole situation. Um, and so I would just have to, like, remind myself and just the air around me. <laughs> um who is the God that I serve and that he is more powerful and it doesn't matter how CPS wants to blindside us it doesn't matter how the enemy because as a believer like we know that like CPS is not the enemy we know that humans are not the enemy like they're the they're like the band-aid but are they're like on the surface but like the real enemy is Satan and so um, so I had to remind myself like, okay, th he's the real enemy. So here I'm going to go at, you know, we don't struggle against flesh and blood. Um, so I, um, would just pray all the time. I would just pray and remind myself who God is and that he's more powerful and that he's in control and that he created Skylar to be in our family. But I'm also human. I'm also flesh. So while I'm praying these things, I'm like, but what if he didn't? Like, what if I'm fighting so hard against God's will, which is a whole other conversation we can have one day. But it was a very mentally trying time for us. Um, so we ended up going, in the beginning of that, God, I felt very clearly that God spoke to me and said, do not fight this right now. He really just told me to wait. So you can probably tell by the last few minutes of our conversation that, that I'm not a good waiter. I'm not very like, I'm not very good at sitting still. I am naturally like a doer and a fixer and a problem solver and a fighter if I need to be. And so for God to tell me like, don't fight this right now, just wait. It was very against my nature, but I had such a strong peace that that's really where he was like, what he was speaking to me. So I didn't fight 
I, I fought in prayer, but I did not fight in the um, physical. I did not do anything in the physical, okay? So my natural inclination would be like, I've got to talk to this lawyer. I've got to talk to the judge. I've got to make all these contacts. I've got to do all these things. I've got to, you know, and God just said, no, stop. Like, don't fight this right now. So I didn't. I just continued to pray and do, you know, what I just described. Like, I would go home very frustrated and blast the music and all that. Um, and then weeks into this like spiritual fight, um, is when God really released me. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Months into it is when God really released me to actually go and like take action at that point. And this is what that looks like. So in January of, oh geez, don't make me say the year, January of that year, <laughs> um, um, CVS actually came and took Skylar from us. So this is another God story, but they came in, they took her on at 8 a.m. on a Friday morning. And this was the Friday morning before Martin Luther King's day. So it was like Monday was going to be a holiday. It was a long weekend. It was also snowing in Mississippi, which never happens. So like all the courts were shut down and like it doesn't, ha it doesn't snow in Mississippi. So when it does, like no one knows what to do. So everything just closes. <laughs> so, um, it was a long weekend. It was snow. Like I knew that when they took her on Friday morning, that it was going to be a fight and it was going to be a while. And like, I just couldn't settle for that. Um, so we immediately, like I, when they took her, like I called my husband, he came home from work. I called my parents and my dad is an attorney. Um, so my dad and my mom were like over in on that side of the room making phone calls. And I was over here calling, like filing complaints. I was like calling up the chain of command at CPS. My husband was over there calling the governor's office, like literally anyone and everyone who would listen to us, we called. Um, so we had an attorney, not my dad. We had a, an, an attorney, youth court lawyer, and she was calling the courthouse to try to file an emer emergency motion or for, to get an emergency hearing. Well, in youth court, because they're children, it's so important, um, emergency hearings happen like within 24 hours, typically. But not now because we needed a special judge because Skylar's previous, the, the judge at that point was Skylar's um was the prosecutor on Skylar's case. So he couldn't hear the case. So it was going to be two more months before we could get an emergency hearing. Again, at this point, like God is releasing me to take action and actually go and fight for my child. So, um, I'm just like, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. I have to get my child back today. There were reasons that we did not, um, think it would be best for Skylar to go and be with, be with this family. Um, and they weren't just because we loved her and we wanted her. Like there were actual real reasons that we were concerned for her safety and her well-being and her future life. Um, so we really did believe that we were the best future for her, the best option for her. And so that's a reason like that we fought so hard. So we're just constantly, so this, this awful Friday morning, um, and also it's a Friday, like no one in the legal world wants to work on a Friday. They like either take off or they knock off at lunch or whatever. Um, and so we're just like making all these phone calls and trying to get something done. And finally I just said to my parents and my husband, I was like, you know what? 
All we can do is sit here and make phone calls. We can do that on the way to Jackson. So let's go. So we loaded up in the car and we drove two hours to Jackson, which is our state capital. And that's where the state CPS office is. And that's where the commissioner's office is. So we drove there, knocked on the little door. Of course, there's like, you know, six gatekeepers to get to the um, commissioner. And every single one of them are like, what are y'all doing here? What, like, you know, they're at the state level. So they have no idea, like all the bad things that are happening on the local level. So we begin to tell them and they're like, what? So eventually after being there for probably an hour or so and like waiting and waiting, cause they're like the commissioner, you don't have an appointment. Like he's on calls and da 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 da. I'm like, I don't care who we talk to. Someone's got to intervene. I don't care who it is. So finally, like one of the deputy commissioners, um, came back and said, how fast can you came back out to the waiting room said how fast can you get back to jones county this is at like four o'clock on a friday afternoon before a holiday this is nuts she's like how fast can you get back to jones county we were like a couple hours and she was like okay go back to the cps in jones county they're gonna bring skylar back to you and i was like <sighs> like i was like ugly cried and I didn't like know or care what she said next. Like my mom's crying, my dad's crying, my husband's crying. Like we're all crying. The secretaries are crying. Like everyone's crying. And um, so she's like, they're gonna bring Skylar back to you. Turns out that Skylar for without notice and foster parents titled before they filed for your home. So we fly back to Jones County. Um, we get Skylar back that night and the next, okay, so it was like Friday, Monday is a holiday. On Tuesday, we showed up in Chancery Court to file some emergency things over there. And there's like, you know, there's some details that, um, that are probably irrelevant to the story, but file some things over there, some emergency things in place, got interviews and, and thankfully able to get an order that said that Skylar could not be removed from our home. In other words, CPS could not take Skylar out of our home until this case could be heard in youth court. Cause remember we were waiting for a special judge. So we could not, this is January. We couldn't get a youth court date until the end of March, but in Chantry court, we were able to at least get that temporary order in place that said like, y'all could not take her until it's her until a youth court judge can decide and rule on this matter so for the next month and a half because that was i guess about mid-january so like until the end of march my dad and i just did everything we could we went to the state capitol and met with representatives and senators and we talked to attorneys and we talked to judges and we talked to the governor's office and we um there's a real famous um federal case it's called the olivia y case it's a real famous case in foster care where a lot of states are getting sued because they're not doing what they're supposed to do um we talked to Olivia Y lawyers. I mean, we talked, there's organizations out there like fighting for kids' rights that these things are happening to. Like, contacted all of them. So we did everything we could in the physical to fight for Skylar and to fight for her best future. Um, so March 28th comes around, or 29th, 20, 29th or 29th, comes around. We go in for our hearing at 1 p.m., and we left the courthouse at 7.30 that night. Um, so we had a seven and a half hour hearing. 
where witnesses were called. Okay, so I want to pause here and go back and remind you that's prior, like back in October, prior, God told me not to fight. He said, just wait. Don't fight right now and be still. Well, little did I know, I should know, if I believe in God, like I should know this, that he's always working. He's always working in the background, in the front ground. He's always working everywhere. But in this case, he was working things out in the background that I could have never put together myself. I could have gone, I could have talked to every judge. I could have talked to the president and I could not have there the things that God did in the background when he was telling me not to fight. And I get, I get a lot of things wrong in my life and in my faith, but this is one of the moments that I look back on and I go, wow, I really heard God. I really obeyed God in that moment. And look how he showed up. Um, so a lot of those things that I'm talking about, like, are still a little confidential and involve other families and people. So I don't want to go into that. But he was working things out in the background when I was not fighting that if I had been fighting, honestly, probably would not have been able to come to light. So fast forward back to March. Those things he was working out in the background back months ago. Some of those people were witnesses for us in this seven and a half hour hearing for Skylar. Um, so it took a long time. It was very exhausting. It was very emotionally exhausting. Um, it's just hard to watch people lie about you and lie about your child and lie about themselves so they can get your child and not tell the truth and it looks and then it's like a tennis match like one second it's like the judge is not buying into it and then the next he is and it's just like back and forth back and forth back and forth so um that was very hard well at the end of that the judge says i can't make a decision tonight because this is just way too much i need to go i need to think i need to pray we're going to come back on may 30th so the next two months were very um anxious very testing. Um, they had to send out a GAL, which is a guardian ad litem, which is the attorney in the courtroom that looks out for the um, child's best interest. So they had to send out the guardian ad litem to our house and sort of observe Skylar in our house and how she does and, and who we are and if we're good people and if we're good for Skylar. And then, and then the GAL had to go and do the same thing at the family member's house who wanted to, who wanted Skylar and always like, nerve-wracking as well because it's like okay is is he not going to see something that he needs to see or is he going to see something that really isn't a big deal or i mean you just never know so the whole thing was just difficult very exhausting um but we went back on may 30th and the judge ruled that um in a, as a permanency hearing that skylar was to stay in her placement which was us I started ugly crying again. I think everyone did. Um, even like some of the courtroom secretaries were just very moved because our case was just such a, it was just such a hard fought case. And um, it's like everyone's crying. The judge was ruling. And then he also ruled that the, that Skylar's visitation with those family members would stop. And that was very huge for us because Skylar was not responding well with those visitations. Like it was affecting her in a lot of different ways, physically, mentally, emotionally. It was, it was really affecting her. So 
the fact that the judge went ahead and stopped those visitations was such a blessing as well for her that it was just like, oh my Lord, like this is like going down as the best day in history. Um, so that was my 30th. And then after that, are you still? Yes. Okay. Can you hear me? So, hear. After, yes, yes. Sorry. I don't know what happened. I feel like it kind of cut out for a second. Um, so after that day, after my 30th, of course, like, Everything was just sort of a waiting game at that point, which was fine because we knew that she was like locked into our home. Nothing was going to like take her away. Of course, there's always that little doubt, but for the most part, like nothing was going to take her away and she was locked into our home. And we just focused on like becoming a family officially. And um, so one year later, so it, there were more things that had to take place. Like, you know, her parents' rights had to be officially terminated. And like I was telling you yesterday on the phone, that's such a weird thing for a foster parent, I think, because, or at least for me it was, because every night I would pray, God, thank you for Skylar, please make us a family. And I would ask God that every single night. But I knew that in asking God to make Skylar my daughter, it meant that someone else was not going to have her as her daughter. And that that would mean in order for her rights to be terminated, the mom and the dad, they would need to not do what they need to do to get their daughter back. And whether you're pro reunification or anti reunification, whatever, like that's just a heavy thing to carry. That's a heavy thing to like pray for and think about. Of course, I never actually prayed for anyone to fail, but by praying to make God, to make Skylar a part of my family and my daughter, like indirectly, that's what that's what I was asking for. And so um, that was very hard for me at first. And then someone, I was sharing that with someone and they said, do not put God in that box. God is so much bigger and more powerful than you get. Why can't her biological parents succeed? And she's still, and she can still be your daughter. Like that's who God is. He's a God of miracles. Like that's what he does. So both things can happen and it just completely changed like everything. Um, so it just completely changed my mindset. So I was actually able to move forward and like celebrate the fact that she was going to be our daughter and I didn't have any hesitation left because I knew that God is not only my God and he's not only Skylar's God, but he's also Skylar's biological parent and he's taking care of them and he's working things out in their lives as well. Um, so one year later, on May 15th, which is my grandmother's birthday, we were able to adopt Skylar in, um, back in Chantry Court, which is such a beautiful picture like of God bringing things full circle, because um, that's where we fought so hard for her, and we were able, we, we really saw God's favor that day in Chantry Court, and that's where adoptions take place. So, um, full circle back to a year later in Chantry Court, and... Um, it was such a it was such a beautiful day. We planned out the whole day. We had a photographer, we had a videographer, and we went after court. We went and ate at Cracker Barrel, and then like my husband and I at the time got Scholar tattoos, and then we went and did like some of Scholar's favorite things, which she was a baby, so it wasn't a lot. Uh, so it was just like it was just such pretty. It was just such a beautiful day. Um, it was just such a celebratory day. Like I just think back on it and I look at the pictures and I'm just like, it was so, I was so happy with life <laughs> on that day. 
So that's where it ended. Well, that's where the adoption ended. Yeah, I love that. Um, you can really tell that God was in like every aspect of your life and in your story. And I really appreciate your openness with sharing your belief and faith. Um, that's so beautiful. What was the transition like for Skylar, especially being kind of tugged both ways and then um, growing up? I know she was pretty young, but did that take a toll on her emotionally or? Being tugged both ways between like when she was, when they were transitioning her to this family. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Um, it's so crazy. Like I think as adults, we forget sometimes like that they're like, babies are humans and they have like they have emotions even if they can't like not even just babies but like toddlers even if they can't verbalize um you know or articulate exactly what their problem is like for example in kids you know anxiety shows up like if it like in the tummy ache uh things like mm -hmm. that you know and so i think we forget like just how affected they are it doesn't matter if they're a baby and they don't didn't know their biological mom by name but um, I read something one time that was like just like a baby being separated from its biological mother is a traumatic experience. Like nothing bad had to happen to that baby, but just the mere separation is traumatic for the child. Um, so there's that at seven weeks old, she is taken from her biological mother. Um, the, you know, and so then she's put in this foster home and then a year later, she's moved from that foster home to us. I do have to say that that transition, as I mentioned before, I didn't know what a transition was supposed to look like. So I couldn't have told you if it was good or bad, but after seeing these other ones, it was a very good transition. Like there were no, like she slid right in and it was like, you know, she's perfectly fine. Um, when the judge or uh, when cps started because the judge never allowed the other family to have visitation that was something that cps did um but when cps started allowing those visitation at first it was just in the cps office and it was on friday mornings and i would take her and she would cry and she wouldn't want to leave me but i knew that it was something she had to do so i would like peel her off of me and hand her to the caseworker to take in um, and then two hours later, I'd go back and get her. Fridays were the worst day of the week for me. <laughs> they should have been the best, but they were the worst. And so, um, just like showing that attachment should have been telling, but it wasn't to, to you know, to the right people. Um, but then after the weekly visitations, CPS started allowing this family to have overnight visitations twice a week. So, yeah. So, um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I took, on Tuesdays, I took Skylar to daycare and the other family picked her up. She spent the night they took her back to daycare on Wednesday. I picked her up. I took her to daycare on Thursday. They picked her up and then like she spent the night and then they took her back to daycare on Friday. So she spent two nights with them of the week. That is when we really began to see, um, things change for Skylar. Okay. So like in the time that we had had her, the child never got sick. I know it sounds crazy. She never had a stomach bug. She never had like nothing. Her behavior was fine. Her sleep habits were fine. She couldn't have dairy and gluten. And so like her like gut problems were fine and like everything physically, emotionally was fine. But when those overnight visits started to take place, 
Um, she was restless. She didn't sleep that great. Um, she did have stomach problems. She would, she would throw up, and she would, ha you know, be sick in other ways with her stomach. And she even sometimes like wouldn't eat. And that was not like her. Like we are eaters in this family. That's another way she fit right in. Okay, um, but it really took a toll on her in those ways. And that's when my eyes were open. Like she really understands what's going on here. She may not can articulate it, but she is showing us that she does not like it. Um, she was very fussy. Like she's a very content, happy child. And obviously all kids fuss, but she was just very like edgy and very fussy and very just like she was unsettled. But as soon as those visits stopped, all of that stopped. Like she just went back to normal. It's the craziest thing that should have been telling like you said uh, there's the yeah. proof <laughs> so um your story is so inspiring and i'm i'm really grateful that you're able to share it to kind of close i want to acknowledge that you have faced the situation that people contemplating foster care dread the nightmare of your child being taken um can you share some some advice to those who are considering adoption from the person who's gone through it all. Um, and then some advice to those who are considering adoption slash foster care. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know if people will like this advice, but I'm going to give it, um, I, lots of people who have considered foster care in our area, you know, who know about, who know about us have asked me this question what advice would you give or they'll say hey I think like we might be thinking about foster care like what would you say and this is what I tell them it does not matter what I went through because my story is not your story and Skylar's story is not your kid's story so it doesn't matter how much actual hell or how many roads get off of got seasick from if God is telling you to become a foster parent, all you need to do is become a foster parent. If God is telling you to adopt a child, all you need to do is adopt that child. Because if there's one thing, that there's a lot of things I've learned about God, but if there's one thing that I've learned about God speaking to his children, it's that we don't ever get the full picture in the beginning. We don't ever get to see the end before we take the first step into it. So if God had said to me, hey, Ashley, I want you to foster, and then you're going to try to adopt, and then the child's going to be taken from you, and you're going to have to fight like hell to get her back, and you're going to have to fight against hell to get her back, and then you're maybe going to get her back, but not, and you're going to lose a lot of sleep, and you're going to cry a lot of tears, and you might eat, and you might not, and you might throw up, and your husband might want to kill you sometimes. People, you're going to be an emotional wreck. But in the end, it's all going to be fine. So could you just foster her anyway? I'd be like, no, I will not. <laughs> I will not foster her. I will not go through those things. I will not adopt her. <laughs> like, find another way. And that's why God doesn't tell us these things. Because even through the hell, like, there were so many lessons. Like, I learned about the faithfulness of God. I learned about how we are all his children. We're The family who wanted to take Skylar are going to be affected by God. It doesn't matter. We all are. And so I learned so many lessons about his faithfulness and his promises and how they always come true. And I learned about how much he loves and protects his children, especially Skylar. I did not have to fight for her. God did. 
And so through all of those things, like the lessons that I learned and the things that I walked through to have to learn those lessons are so worth it. So you can't say like, um, well, I think I want to, I think I want to adopt, but like no adoption story is, no adoption story is If God says, become a, you just need to take the steps to become a foster parent because he already has a story written for that person. And he already has the child and he already has that story written. If God says you need to adopt through a private agency or through foster care or because someone in your church um, knows someone that can take care of their baby, whatever it is, you just need to know if God is telling you to do it, then that's all you need to do is take that step and do it. Because then the details after that are just details and they're all worked out. He works them out. He tells you how to work them out. And if you're, if you're not a believer, if you're not, if you don't believe in God, I can see how this could be a very, like, um, a very um, unknown, like a very, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It could be like the process could be like not so assuring. Um, so I really can't give like a world, a secular advice on this because our story so depended on our faith in God. And our trust that like he was going to follow through with it um, and fight in ways that we couldn't. So my, my advice is do what God tells you to do. And if someone's not a believer, but they're feeling like they need to um, adopt or they're feeling like they need to do foster care, I'm going to say like, God's probably telling you, you just don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You're awesome. Mm-hmm. Um I've seen time and time again that religion plays a huge part in creating families, whether it's through conception or foster care or adoption. Um, Yeah. And if not, then those people who are great parents have set standards and morals that they have found from other places in their life that uh, allows them to be the parents that they need to be. So God has a plan regardless of of their belief or faith in him. And I know that that's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. You've been an unforgettable guest. I really appreciate it. I look forward to a friendship with you long into the future and seeing um, your adorable daughter grow. You guys are like the cutest for those who don't, well, nobody knows this, but I was talking to Ashley about sending me some pictures of them to promote the podcast. And I just get this, text message thread of like 35 pictures of her and her daughter. It was the best. I loved it. They're also, we'll share some with you guys soon. Thank you so much for joining us, Ashley. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for working around my schedule and listening to my very long winded stories, but I couldn't leave out any details. Like it was so good. <laughs> no, God is in the details and we, we see that every day. So I appreciate it. Um, yeah, thanks. I remember, I remember it was probably back in July of last year, right? Right after we started the podcast, you put a little question box on Instagram and said, what do you guys want to know about me? And I said, be on my adoption podcast. And you were like, let's make it happen. And I'm so grateful that what, like six or seven months later, we finally got to connect and you're amazing and, yeah. and very inspiring. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Of course. I also loved your uh, your drawl. It's the cutest thing I've ever heard. 
Oh my gosh. I didn't, I'll have to tell you this real quick. I did not appreciate my Southern accent until I went on the world race. And everyone was like, your accent is so cute. And like before that, I just thought I sounded like ignorant, you know? And so, um, when my teammates were like, no, please just talk, like just say anything. I was like, okay, like I can do this. <laughs> That's so cool. If you look at the map, we live in almost like exact opposite locations of the United States. Like you're Southeast and I'm like, I'm like only like a hundred miles from the Canadian border. So very, very yeah. different cultures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So everybody, thanks for watching. Um, I look forward to sharing Ashley's story for months to come. So many gold nuggets. If you guys have any questions about foster care or adoption, please watch this podcast. And until next week, we'll catch you later.